Hello, I'm Donnie Clinton, Director of Student Ministry and Media at West Hills Church, located in the heart of West County in beautiful St. Louis, Missouri. I'm also the host of the Going Deeper podcast at West Hills Church, where we take a few minutes to dive into last week's sermon or an interesting topic in the life of the church. West Hills is a gospel-centered church that glorifies God by living in authentic Christian community with one another, growing in spiritual maturity as disciples of Jesus, and serving the world missionally with the love of Christ. West Hills meets at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings for worship, and we would love to have you join us. This week, we are revisiting the topic of communion and answering some of the questions that people at West Hills have had for Pastor Will. So thank you for joining us as we go deeper. I never know how to begin it. I don't either. I'm still <laughs> figuring it out. Well, uh, welcome back. This is now the third episode of the Going Deeper podcast. And now we have spent two weeks talking about the topic of communion and pastor will has received some uh, feedback about that but now we just want to take the next 30 or so minutes to respond to some of the questions that the congregation is asking and this is actually the point of the podcast it's to go deeper and to encourage people at west hills and anyone who might be listening to maybe think a little deeper about what is being said in the sermons and what pastor will has to say Um, But with that being said, Pastor Will, what's some of the feedback that you have gotten from the West Hills fam about the new institutions you've you've put on communion? Well, thanks, Donnie. And uh, before I even go to communion, I want to just say a quick uh, thanks to you as well and word of affirmation about the feedback we've received on the podcast. Uh, We've gotten a lot of positive feedback from you guys. Uh, who are listening to this and appreciating it um, is just an additional ministry to the church. So thank you, Donnie, for setting this up, this great idea, and then making it happen, the back end of stuff. So, um, But yeah, the, the feedback on the Lord's Supper communion, I think has been overwhelmingly positive. I've been so, um, I've been so humbled and blessed and, uh, to be able to spend these last two Sundays preaching and, and trying to unpack and um, lay out uh, a, a more thoroughly biblical understanding and, again, raising our level of intentionality about the Lord's Supper together. Um, and in response, I've so appreciated so much the feedback that we've gotten on it. Um, again, overwhelmingly uh, positive people responding you know, well to um, even even the awkwardness of uh, two hundred <laughs> crunching crackers at the same time. Yeah, just like yeah, um, we're but even, still. <laughs> but even with that, it's yeah. kind of it's kind of like this conscientiousness in the church where it's like we're all in this together. Yeah, we're doing this together. So a, I kind of like the crunch. It was a, I do too. There's a little <laughs> bit of giggling, you know, that first time, and I don't know. Uh, we, we, we still thinking about well, is there is there merit in going back to the actual bread for that reason or whatever? The crackers are pretty tasty though. I gotta they say they are really good. I would eat them casually. So I don't. We'll we'll fig- we'll keep figuring it out and problem solving. But um, yeah, overwhelmingly positive feedback. Um, there there have been three or four uh, sort of issues, if you will, that um, some of y'all have again in this realm, this theme of going deeper, some of y'all have gone there for yourselves and reflected on, you know, 
the why of what we're doing and, and the how of what we're doing and given us some really good, even critical feedback um, about some of the, the changes maybe that you've seen with the Lord's Supper that uh, I want to validate um, your thoughtful reflection by addressing that here. Some of it, you know, we've kind of alluded to maybe in, in the sermons the past couple of weeks, but um, I thought this could be just a chance to tackle it head on. So three issues, and I'll, I'll name them um, first on the start to give you an outline for it, and then we'll go through them one by one. So um, one thing that some of y'all have caught and uh, a, a few of you have approached me about and just asked questions, good questions about um, that you've noticed I've started doing is um, in the invitation to who we're inviting to the communion table, I've started saying um, this meal is for baptized believers you know, who've given their, their lives to Jesus, trusted him as their Lord and Savior um, for the salvation of their sins. Uh, but, but specifically that idea of this meal is for baptized believers and that connection, what is the connection, the link between baptism and the Lord's Supper? Um, so I want to spend a minute addressing that. Point two is, um, is it unnecessarily exclusive or marginalizing or isolating or something like that of unbelievers um, if we were, theoretically, again, asterisk here, um, we've got an elders meeting this Saturday and we're going to be discussing, you know, the who, what, where, when, whys of the Lord's Supper going forward and do we like, you know, having people come forward, do we want to go back to passing plates and um, the pros and cons of those things. But uh, if we were to think about having people come forward, the potential con of um, being overly sort of unfriendly or isolating or something like that of visitors. You know, I want to bring my friends with me to church, and how am I supposed to invite a, f- a friend to church? And then all of a sudden at the end of the sermon, oh, by the way, here's this, this thing that you're not allowed to participate in, and it's awkward, you've got to stay in your seat kind of deal. So we want to talk about that for a minute. And then thirdly, um, is it theologically problematic to have uh, people come forward? And again, these are all these are all practical things that we've heard from you, from listeners here, um, from our, our church congregants. Is it theologically problematic to have people come forward and receive the elements from another human, another person? Um, I mentioned the pros to that. That I, I, I think that um, you know, there's something powerful about being reminded in the Lord's Supper with your open hands that all we can do is receive it as a gift. We don't take it. Um, but the flip side of that is you're being given it by someone else. And so are there issues even just you know practically for some of us who maybe grew up in a liturgical, tradition where only certain people could handle communion and are they anointed in some special way and something magical happens when the priest blesses it or and he's got to be the one to give it to you. So I think that's a, a third sort of theological issue. So let's <laughs> yeah, let's that, unpack them. <laughs> let's unpack all of that. Um, and that we want to say that before we even get started here, that yeah. these, are, these are direct responses to your questions. So please keep asking questions. Um, yeah. But let's dive into the first point. What is the link between, well, you say, being a baptized believer and, and taking communion? Yeah. My understanding, and again, this is, um, 
this is an issue. I want to be clear up front about this. This is an open-handed issue for me. This is not, I, I think there is tons of room for uh, believers baptized and not <laughs> to, to, to disagree in love about our understanding of Scripture and our understanding of, um, you know, even just ecclesiology and whatever else. But my understanding, uh, I will say humbly, of the relationship between baptism and the Lord's Supper um, is the Lord gave, left us with those two sacraments, ordinances, whatever you want to call them, those two ordinances for the church as amongst other things. Um, yes, they are about remembering him uh, first and foremost, um, identifying with him in his death, resurrection, and baptism, and at the Lord's Supper. But they're also, they're just that, they're identity markers. And so I think that the Lord left us baptism and the Lord's Supper as community identity markers for his church. The Lord, the Lord, what he, what Jesus wanted to do is, you know, he, do, he doesn't just save us individually. We've talked about this here recently, this emphasis. God, God all throughout scripture is proving he's saving for himself a people and he calls us together as a people. God cares about community and for that reason, there's there's an emphasis and an importance put, I think, clearly in Scripture, on uh, on the importance of community, and, and part of that then means you've got to know who that community is, and and hence the reason for things like communion, who takes it and who doesn't, and whatever else. And so, I say all that to say, when I when I say that I think this meal communion is for baptized believers. What I'm not saying is that you have to be baptized to be a true believer, to go to heaven. I think it's really clear to me, you know, whether you look at the, the example of the thief on the cross beside Jesus, you'll be with me today in paradise. That guy didn't have a chance to get off the cross and get baptized. Not a problem. He's in, in heaven with Jesus right now. Um, so I'm not saying you have to be, you know, again, tons of theological problems with saying you have to be baptized or putting adding anything else you know whether it was in Galatians it was the circumcision party adding circumcision we don't have to add anything to the gospel of Jesus we simply by grace we're saved through faith not faith and baptism nothing it's it's by faith in Christ but that being said other than exceptional cases of a thief on a cross, I think clearly what we see all through Scripture, just look all through the book of Acts in particular, um, you know, when I think of Acts 2, you know, Peter preaches a sermon and, you know, the people respond and say, "What, sir, what should we do? And Peter instructs them to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, again, I'm not saying, I think we've got to, we could exegete that passage and what he means by baptized and whether, whether or not the baptism part is tied to the, the forgiveness of sins or if that's just the repentance part. But all that to say, I mean, it's, it's clear biblically that the example is we are called, you know, as, as believers to be 
baptized. That's, that's the example time and time again that we see in Scripture is someone comes to faith, and then they get baptized. Philip and the eunuch in the book of Acts. Um, you think of uh, Cornelius and his whole household. I mean, you, 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 you come to saving faith in Christ, and then your first res- response should be baptism. And then in time, uh, the weekly ordinance that the Lord gives us for a regular reminding and bringing back to the cross, like we talked about yesterday in the service, um, that's, that's what the Lord's Supper is for. But all that to say, um, when I say that baptized believers is who gets invited to communion, at the end of the day, again, first of all, you know, no one's policing any of this. We're not making you sign something to say you've been baptized. All I'm saying is, this is a little bit of a crude analogy. It doesn't work completely, but it's like, it's kind of like saying, um, you know, these are, if I'm the coach of, you know, a girls volleyball team right now, um, these are the people that are invited to, to join us for this game this week. Um, and part of what I'm saying in baptism is, you know, with a baptism point, baptism is joining the team in the first place. Um, it's an identity marker of I've joined publicly by the public declaration of my faith in Christ and the affirmation, the hearing of that faith and the, and the affirming of it by this church that they've said, yes, you know, we, we've heard your public declaration and we want to enfold you, include you, wrap you into this community. What we're saying is it wouldn't make sense for me to invite you to play on our, on our volleyball team if you've never even joined the team. You know, baptism is you joining the team um, and then the Lord's Supper is the practice in the games or whatever. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. Um, and, and again, some of that is reading between the lines on some of this biblically. Um, and we could go go deeper on any of these three topics. But I don't know, Donnie, you want to weigh in on that? Sure. And I'm just, and I'll try and like condense really quick everything we just said. But the, it's a good analogy at the end that if, if you're not part of the team, it makes sense you don't play in the game. Um, the link between baptism and communion is that people who belong to Jesus remember him in the ordinances that he gave his people. So if you are a part of this covenant community, then you have every right to gather around the table and meet with him. But if you have actively decided not to, not to obey him when he says, be baptized, then what claim and right do you have to be called his? There's there's an issue with it. If you're going to go take communion and say you're his, but then fail to observe another ordinance that he uh, gave to his church. Is like, go and baptize them. Right. Um, and then in Matthew, when he's baptized, he says baptism is to fulfill all righteousness. Yes. And if baptism is part of being righteous, then, and then Jesus says that it's a command for people who believe in Jesus to be baptized. That's and good. then he says that those people who are belonging to him can gather on the table. If you haven't taken the first step to belong to him, then it would make sense that the tables may be a bit more exclusive than you think it is. Yeah. Um, it might be kind of brusque or harsh, but the table isn't humanitarianism. The table is exclusive to people who believe in Jesus Christ. That's right. And that brings us to our second point. Do you think it, it that does. Uh, the communion table is kind of exclusive? I think it's absolutely exclusive. Um, and I think I was, again, yeah, uh, that was a big part of that first sermon in this series was drawing that very definitive line of who this is for. Um that being said, um, like I tried to emphasize this past week in, in swinging the pendulum and striking the balance, 
tried to remind us that the gospel is the most radically inclusive message there is. You know, Jesus is so clear time and time again that, you know, he desires that none should perish, but that all should should come to repentance and saving faith, you know, First Timothy 2. And so um, I, I think, you know, we want to, even as we are exclusive about who we invite, um, we want to always, you know, extend that invitation and remind people that, you know, this can be for you. There's nothing magical or special about any of us who are coming forward for this meal other than the fact that, you know, we've been called by God. We've yeah. been we've been called and we've been redeemed and it's his saving work. There's nothing I mean it's 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 by definition the fact that there's nothing special about us um, while we were yet sinners that that Christ died for us. But yeah, I, I think that um, the lines have become so blurred in in our culture, in our society. I, I think the question of what's different about Christians is a more important question now than it probably ever has been in the history of Christianity because um, in the 21st century American church, the answer is so vague and ambiguous. Um, I think if I walked into nine out of 10 churches and looked at nine out of 10 Christians' lives or you know what, whatever the case may be, and ask that question: What's what's different about you than than you know your your coworker who sits across the cubicle who's not in church on Sunday? Like, can I come up with an answer that's different than the fact that I go to this service for an hour on Sundays? And if I can't, then that's a problem. But this, you know, this thing, like who comes up um, to receive communion, or who receives communion in the pew, or however method we do it, doesn't matter. But um, who takes communion should be a difference, and it should be a visible reminder um, of an identity marker on our lives that there's something, you know, radically different. That's a that's a tangible way of reminding ourselves of a spiritual internal reality that is, you know, we're, we we ought to to give ourselves and the world a chance to be reminded of the fact that when God looks at us. When God asked the question, what's different between you and that coworker, it's a night and day difference. Mm -hmm. It's a death and life difference. One person is spiritually dead. One person is spiritually alive. One person has been spiritually reborn. One person hasn't. One person's regenerate. One person, and 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 that's the way we want to give ourselves an opportunity to be reminded of and see spiritually dead people that way, so that we are all the more impassioned and. Um, and purposeful about our evangelism, about the way we live our lives missionally in service of lost people, dead, broken people that need to be reborn, um, as well as yeah. a sense of gratitude that we're not that anymore. I once was lost, now I'm found. I once was blind, now I see. And, and living a life of gratitude because there is something different about my life. There has to be something said about um, the question... There, there, there can't be much dancing around it. Is the table exclusive? Yes. Yep. That's <laughs> and this ta- question one and two, like, are we alienating people with the table exclusive? Those are, those are two questions that have a lot to do with one another. But at the end of the day, West Hills, two of their pastors at least, says, yeah, the table is exclusive to people who have claimed to believe in Jesus Christ. And we are not about making one of the ordinances this this like visible means of Jesus' grace, 
Um, we're not about making that open to everybody when Jesus, while he's clearly loving and accepting and willing to redeem every person who comes to him in faith and willingness to be redeemed, yeah. there are people who will walk away from that, who, who, who don't want to be obedient to Jesus and what he asks of us. And yeah. here's the deal. At the end of the day, um, while we can never know what God has done in somebody's heart, one of the markers of God's people through the whole Bible is their obedience to the call of the covenant. That's right. If you are willing to be obedient, then you are by near very nature someone who is exclusively different than the people who have no willingness to be obedient and have no claim or tie to Jesus Christ. That's so right. that being said, yeah, the table is a pretty exclusive place to be, but it's a club that Jesus wants everybody to yeah. be a part of. Yeah. So, and that, I mean, you're listening to this, Easter's in two weeks. Who, who do you want to be part of that club? Right. And I want to be, and that's a good point too, because we're, we're, you know, we're, we're doing all this, we're having this conversation in the midst of this big push to have people invite friends on Easter. And we want West Hills to be a place where people want, where you're excited, not just because we're twisting your arms or guilt tripping you or any of that, but like you believe in your church, you love your church, you've you've experienced the joy of community and fellowship in your church, you've experienced the joy of the gospel being preached and celebrated at your church, and you want others to hear and, and experience that and the life change that comes from faith in it. All of that is true, and I want to be pastorally sensitive to you know the 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 congregant who voiced that concern. Hey, I want I need to be at a church where I can feel like I can bring my neighbors and my friends, um, and it not be an isolating experience for them when communion time rolls around. I want to be pastorally sensitive. That's a that's a good impulse, but I'll say two two just short very direct responses to that. One is, um, if you're going to say that, then this goes for all of us. Let's put our money where our mouths are. And um, there should be way more of us actually inviting our friends and bringing them to church. Like, I might, I might take some of these concerns. They might feel more, more, Serious. real and serious and yeah. palpable if like every West Hillian was bringing a friend every week. Then we would have a real big issue about, oh man, is our communion exclusive? But even with that, even with that, I will say, even let's say hypothetically that person who voices that concern brings a different friend every week. I will go back to what I said this past week and say, what more loving thing can we do for our unbelieving friends and neighbors than to Give them that visible uh, reminder that Jesus, at the end of the day and at the end of our lives, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat, the judgment throne, and and Jesus is going to ask us a very, very direct, very clear question, Matthew 16, that he asked everybody, who do you say that I am? He's going to ask them, who do you say that I am? And you're either going to call him the Messiah, the Son of the living God, like Peter did, and and he's gonna say, you know, welcome. <laughs> like we've been waiting for you, or you're not. And 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 this meal, this thing that we do, is a reminder that we all stand on one side of the fence or the other. There's, you know, we can call them seekers, we can call, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, you're either one of two people. And um and what better thing do we need? You know, when Paul says in First Corinthians eleven twenty six, uh, as often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's 
death and resurrection until he comes again. Who needs to see and hear that proclamation more than your unbelieving friends? They need to join you in church on Sundays and see you come forward and proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And they need to sit in their seats and be reminded, whoa, I'm not sure that I'm proclaiming the Lord. Like, they take this thing, communion, really seriously at their church because they take the gospel really seriously because they take Jesus really seriously. And I'm, I'm either going to take him seriously and I'm going to come to this meal or I'm not. So, so and, I, and just before we get into the third question, it's probably not going to take the longest to tackle as much no. as these two have. Every other religious system in the world that's competing and vying for your soul has markers of individualism and exclusivity that you are expected to abide by yeah. once you enter them. So be cautious about making your church the enemy and being exclusive to one of their religious ordinances because any other place your friend will go, they will experience the very same exclusivity. Yeah, yeah, so. absolutely. And that brings us up to our, our third point. Some people have voiced an issue with our elders or ushers uh, passing out the grape juice and the cracker mm-hmm. that we take faithfully on Sunday mornings. Um, they would say that, well, that, that reminds me of maybe my, maybe my Catholic background and where, where one person was above everybody else. Um, and so, Will, what would you say to that question that came in this week by a faithful Westillian? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, um, again, uh, thank you for the, the practical thank concern and thank you for voicing that, for thinking so deeply theologically. I would say, um, yeah, probably, like you said, a little bit of just experiential PTSD or something like that um, that I want to take seriously and have pastoral sensitivity to. But I think it's a, it's a valid uh, question. I think that it's 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 one of the reasons why I went to such lengths in this past Sunday sermon to make sure we're really clear and distancing ourselves from any sort of theological abuse that would that would come into the Lord's table in, in our congregation at least. And I I touched on transubstantiation this week and how we don't believe that. I touched on. Um, this idea that you know something magic happens when the priest you know blesses um, uh, the, the elements and, and that there's something special about him and, and that he has to be the one to serve it um, and tried to just sort of address some of those concerns but uh, and, and even the the practical thing that we change that we made this week you know you might have noticed that we had elders serving the Lord's Supper two weeks ago um, and then this past week, you know, I made a point to, to, to recruit and, 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 and with Lauren Brickler's help, uh, shout out to her, um, ushers to serve this week, including women. We had, you know, half women and half men, and um, none of them are ordained or, <laughs> or, or elders or whatever else. And, and, and trying to make that point for people that it really isn't about who is serving you uh, this this cracker and this grape juice. And it's really not about the fact that it's a cracker and grape juice versus bread and wine. It's not about the words of institution that are said, the prayer that is said. Nothing about what we're doing and who we are going into this meal is what makes it special. It's the Lord's Supper. It's not the Elder's Supper. It's not the Pastor's Supper. It's not the Priest's Supper. It's not It's not the, the bread and the wine. It's, it is the Lord's Supper, and it's special because... Only to the extent that we do it in remembrance of him. To the extent that 
we get out of the way and we remember him through it, um, that that's what makes it important. And so if, if, if receiving it from another human um, is an obstacle for somebody, um, if, if that's a thing, then, then that's a real practical concern that we want to take seriously and we want to think about. But I might also you know, just push back on that and, um, and make sure that, uh, that, you know, we're checking, we're checking our own hearts. And, you know, I, I think that there could be hypothetically, um, a, a sense even of just a, a little bit of, um, I don't know, so, sometimes that whole idea of who are you to like, what's special about you that you're serving communion or why should I take receive from you or something like that, um, that could easily slip into some dangerous sort of personal uh, territory of pride or something like Mm -hmm. that. So I I think there's something powerful about the idea of just receiving, regardless of who it's from, I'm up there with open hands receiving as opposed to I take it out of a plate or something like that. Yeah. I think as I heard this question and as it was sent to to Will as a pastor and as he shared it with me, I think there there are um, maybe... (laughs) <laughs> three things, like every pastor, three things come to mind. The first one is that as Baptists, um, just as in our tradition, we do believe in the structural authority of the church. Yeah. That's why we have pastors. That's why we have elders. Yeah. And that's why you get to vote on who we are. <laughs> like We believe that the church's input. So the people who serve it are very important, especially if they're elders, um, because those people, assumably, should be people that you trust. And also that it might be unfair to compare us to compare West Hills or any church you go to currently to a church you had a bad experience with in the past because of something negative you've experienced in that other church. The second thing that came to mind is we are receiving the grape juice and the cracker just like um, we are <laughs> grace happens passively on us. I, and when I say that, I mean we cannot save ourselves. Right. In Ephesians 2, it is, it is called a gift that only, only Jesus is free to give to whom he wants to give it to, and that we have no choice in accepting it. We, we only receive it by his Holy Spirit having woken us up. So when you, when you are having your open hands being given the, the juice and the cracker um, here at West Hills, it's, it's almost to remind you, just like your wedding vows remind you of your wedding day, to remind you of the grace that you received in that day, um, in Christ choosing to wake you up to follow him. So it's like this constant reminder every Sunday, like in taking the juice and taking the cracker, I am reminded that the Holy Spirit woke me up and that now I get to be part of this team. I yep. get to go play on the sand volleyball court. Yep. Um, yeah, and, and, the, and the third thing is like, don't let maybe this theological issue dissuade you from taking communion because you then maybe are in danger of making an issue um, at your church on a local level, bigger than you're going to remember Jesus. And, and that um, is something that you should bear within your own conscience before right. the Lord because that um, w- would cause me as a pastor to have some questions about how, how big is this problem really to you? Um, and how big is Jesus? Is Jesus bigger than this problem that you're facing? That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, I would just, yeah, I know we're, we're wrapping up here. Go research the Donatist controversy of the early church. Um, basically, the takeaway from it was there's really not that much important about the priest or the bishop or the pastor, whoever who is baptizing you, that uh, 
that makes baptism special. It's the ordinance itself. It's because Jesus gave this ordinance to the church, and the same is true of communion. I would say I almost want to have like the children from kids ministry come in and serve as communion because I would <laughs> I want to make the point. It's not important who's putting the cracker in your hand. What's important is who we're remembering through it. It's the Lord's Supper, but that would be another controversy for another time. So maybe we'll hold off on kids serving communion. But anyways, spend more time going deeper on your own, thinking, reflecting on these things. We appreciate the chance for us to do that. and, And we're humbled by the opportunity to do that publicly with you and for you on this and hope we get even more good emails and controversy and, and whatever and chance to go even deeper on this podcast. Yeah, and if you do have a question at the end of one of these podcasts, feel free to email Will at willdevall at westhillsstl.org or me, Donnie Clinton, at Clinton at westhillsstl.org. And we would love to answer your questions even um, on the podcast. And if we get enough questions, we can just do a question cast and just answer a bunch of questions from you guys. Let's do it. Um, but this has been the third episode of Going Deeper. Thank you for giving me your time again, Will. Thank you, Donnie. Appreciate right. it, man. All right. And thank you for listening. Thank you. And with that, you have the third episode of Going Deeper. Thank you for joining us for another episode. If you have any questions about the sermon or even just want to ask a question to some of the pastors at your church, feel free to email Will or I. You can email Will at willdevall at westhillsstl.org or me, Donnie Clinton, at donnieclinton at westhillsstl.org. All right, we'll see you next week.